Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang. Welcome to the program. I'm so glad that you've decided to be with us and join us on another winter day in the garden. You know, for the past couple of weeks, or past several weeks, actually, we've had some spring-like weather, and I can't help but not continue continue to remind you that eh, we're still in winter, folks. It's still March. I think technically on the calendar... Maybe the 20th, 21st is the first day of spring, but that's just what the calendar says. You know, we're getting to the point where we've got to not just take it day by day, but look at the long-term weather forecast. Of course, generally, our average last frost is on my birthday, April 15th. I won't mention what year, (laughs) but the 15th of April is usually a safer day to start planting those things like tomatoes and petunias, the things that love warm weather. Now, it's not just about the warm atmospheric weather, meaning the air temperature. It's also about the warm ground temperature we're looking for. Even if we rush to planting tomatoes when the air temperature feels fine, the soil still may be very cool, maybe very cold. So we've got to make sure we're checking both. And of course, you can check the average soil temperature. Uh, there's a service through UGA, the, the weather stations. Just Google, go to the internet and Google UGA weather stations, and you will pull up to their website, which you can select a weather station that's near the town you live in, and they'll tell you what the ground temperature is two inches below the soil, four inches below the soil, and eight inches below the soil. And of course, with most of our garden plants, they're going to go down pretty deep. So make sure that the soil on the surface and the eight inch depth is still pretty warm. Now, 55, I think the last time you and I checked, uh, it was somewhere in the 55 a couple of weeks ago. That's still pretty warm. If we don't have a dramatic winter that is very cold, then the ground stays pretty warm. And You may even invest in a soil thermometer, which you can push down into your soil and measure the temperature that's right local to you. Uh, But of course, um, things like mulching. Mulching the soil helps the soil to stay warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer. It's moderating the temperature so the plant's roots don't get baked in the summertime and don't freeze to death in the wintertime. So there are things we can do to uh, moderate and change that uh, soil temperature. But as we think about this weekend, of course, um, we have been expecting and are expecting uh, tonight for temperatures to drop pretty low. Well, um, we're going to be pretty much in the 20s, pretty much in the 20s, waking up in the morning on Sunday, very low 20s. 
who knows what's really going to happen. This is just what the weatherman says. But that is could be disastrous for things that you may have already purchased when it felt like spring three weeks ago. <laughs> it could be very disastrous to petunias, tomatoes, begonias if you have purchased any of those. Now, of course, you can find me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens throughout the week in Flowery Branch, Georgia, and we wait. We wait, folks. I mean, there's plenty of people who are wanting tomatoes in February, but I think it's unethical for a nurseryman to sell just based on today's current weather temperatures, you know? We want to make sure that we're in the long haul for summer, for spring and summer, when we are selling tomatoes and and other annual plants. So the box stores, the big box stores, they usually don't care. They don't care. They just want to make a sale. They don't really care if you're successful. But at most of your local garden centers and nurseries, you'll find that there's people who care, people who care that you are successful. And we're going to do the appropriate things based on weather conditions. That's part of cultivation, part of gardening, right, is making sure that we are doing things the best way so we can be successful. And so this is just a friendly reminder today that tonight, uh, as the day progresses, as the day progresses, we want to make sure that uh, we are going to be very cold. It's already pretty cold now. It's going to be even colder tonight and in the morning uh, when we wake up. And uh, throughout the day, it could be on Sunday, could be pretty chilly. So protect some plants. If you need, if you've noticed that some plants uh, like peonies, if you have any peonies, of course, we sell a great selection of peonies at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the weekend, Flowery Branch, Georgia. Uh, We sell peonies and they started to bud out with this nice weather. They're sort of a more cool season plant anyways. And what I mean is cool spring, not necessarily hot summer, okay, but not winter either. They don't mind the cold weather. The, The leaves can handle the cold weather if they've started. But if you have any buds on those peonies, If you have any uh, flower buds that are starting to swell and develop, those could be more susceptible to this kind of freeze. So you can easily, with small plants, cover them with a bucket. Uh, If you have something that's larger, maybe some shrubs that have started to put out new growth and you don't want the new growth to die back or have a better chance of surviving that new growth, that is, uh, you can drape them in a tarp or a bed sheet or something to capture the ground heat the heat that is being released from the ground. But here's the key. You can't just drape it and leave the bottom open. You've got to make sure that you're draping whatever it is, whether it's a tarp or piece of plastic or uh, some kind of bed sheet, that it touches the ground and makes a good seal with the ground. So you may need to place stones or bricks or pots or something around the edge of your draping to actually seal with the ground. We want, we're not trying to just cover the plant. We're trying to actually capture the ground heat beneath the plant and not allow it to go into the air, to trap it under this kind of mini greenhouse, if you will. Kind of a mini cold frame, a temporary cold frame, just overnight. Of course, when the day heats up and we get, hopefully, into the 40s on Sunday, then you can take those coverings off. But if it does drop even below 20, uh, then we want to keep it on there as long as we can. Once we get, like I said, into the 40s, the draping and whatnot can come off. It doesn't need to stay there all the time. But this is, this. we knew this kind of weekend or run of days was bound to happen where, of course, we have some kind of wonderful weather uh, for a few weeks in February, March, and then we have another what we call a late freeze. This is still not a late freeze uh, because technically our average last frost is in the middle of April. But Easter is that weekend, the April 15th weekend. I think it falls Sunday is the 17th. And so I would still be cautious. I would still be cautious about putting things in your landscape that might need protection. 
I would be cautious about doing too much pruning because pruning with really good weather in late winter can stimulate growth. And then if we have another frost or freeze, that new growth will get burned back or frozen back, I should say. And that means that uh, it was really all for nothing. And so fertilizing, pruning, doing extra watering, there should be plenty of ground moisture uh, right now or soil moisture for your plants. You don't need the extra water this time of year. Most plants are going to be just fine. But any of these things can stimulate growth during a nice spell of weather. And then, of course, if we have another, like this weekend, if we have another freeze or frost, some of that new growth will be too tender to handle it, and it'll just get killed back. With most hardy trees and shrubs and perennials, if they're trying to grow, they may have some winter damage this weekend, but if they're hardy, that means their root system and their shoot system for shrubs and trees, they can handle this weather. Uh, houseplants are not a good thing to keep outside right now. Maybe you've been keeping them out during the day when it's been in the 60s and 70s. That's wonderful. But be sure to bring houseplants in in a protected site, whether it's a crawl space, garage, indoors, in the house with you. Let your plants live and breathe amongst you for this weekend because it's going to be cold. It's going to be chilly. It's going to be, yeah, not chilly. We're past, we're going to be past chilly. It's just cold. So, Let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. Let me sort of introduce. Uh, we're going to talk about seven steps to garden self-sufficiency. All right? So I'm trying to give you, sounds like a, a pretty technical term there, but garden self-sufficiency, I started thinking about this this weekend or this past week when I went to fill up my truck with gasoline and I paid $100. Now, I know with trucks and all, they use more gas, but I've never paid $100 for a tank of gas. And I was just a quarter. I was actually just three quarters empty. I had a quarter tank left. And so I thought, what is going to happen if something doesn't change? I mean, the prices of things are going astronomical. Things are going up and up and up. And our paychecks don't seem to be increasing. That's for sure. It's mainly the cost of living is increasing. And so we know we hear all in the political world about inflation, high gas prices, all these things. But uh, a few years ago, when I was at the State Department of Agriculture, we were doing some video work. And uh, a guy in the office who we, we always throw ideas back and forth about what kind of videos to make to promote Georgia Grown, to promote uh, products that are made in Georgia and encourage people to buy local. And we thought, well, we could start a series of uh, gardening shows as if... The zombie apocalypse was amongst us. Around that time, that show, The Walking Dead, which is a zombie movie, right? Zombie TV show. Um, that show was out, and it was sort of hot and trendy. And uh, we, we didn't go through with it, but I ha have always kept that in the back of my mind. Like, what would happen if the apocalypse was here? We know there's wars and rumors of wars. And, of course, there are high prices on everything. There are shortages on products we need, like toilet paper and... Um, toothpaste, whatever. You know, we've been through shortages in the past couple of years with the COVID stuff. But I thought, from the gardener's perspective, what can we do? What can we do to be more self-sufficient? In the event that uh, gasoline and petroleum products become limited or few, far in between, what are we going to do about fertilizer? You know, if you're using conventional fertilizer, you may or may not know, but Conventional fertilizers are 
sourced through petroleum, uh, not just the way we transport it, but also the way that we we create these nutritions and these little pellets. So it's uh, fertilizer is highly dependent upon the petroleum industry, and so are plastics. You know, plastics in the nursery, whether it's plastic over a greenhouse or plastic that your containers are in, your, or rather your plastic containers your plants are grown in, all of these things are based off of petroleum, and they they will increase if the price of petroleum increases. So, But what can we do at home in our own landscapes, in our own gardens, to be more self-sufficient? Meaning, we don't have to rely so much upon certain industries. We don't have to rely so much even upon garden centers, okay? Like, I know I operate one, uh, but there are things you can do to be less reliant and be more self-sufficient in your garden. I think you'll find a running theme throughout today's program about saving. You know, just like our grandparents or great-grandparents or maybe your your mother and father uh, during the Great Depression, they were saving, were they not? They were rationing food. Of course, many folks around our area were still living on farms. We weren't all city folks back then uh, or suburban folks back then. They're living on farms, growing some of their own food, whether it was animals uh, for chickens or whether it was uh, growing a garden, very large gardens. And so I know the world has changed since then, but we probably need to look back at the past a bit. Look at previous generations who learned how to make it through tough times when prices were high and supplies were low. Uh, what can we do in our landscapes? Uh, you'll find that running theme of saving. We're going to talk about saving a lot of things, uh, a lot of important things that plants need, a lot of things that may very well become expensive like fertilizers, the prices, uh, especially being in the nursery uh, business, buying fertilizer for this year was an unusual experience prices were just high but of course there are things your plants need things you need to to have in order to produce a good garden right and so we're going to sort of take it back to the basics today I mean think about it plants need light well light from the sun is generally cheap we've got a sunny site or maybe we have a, a part sunny site so light is important they need water we're going to talk about water because uh, water if you're on the uh, city water system you know or even if you Water, pump out of a well. Uh, you got to have electricity to get water to your plants. And so we're going to talk about saving water. We're going to talk about uh, making sure we can feed our babies, feed our plant babies. And of course, that is another thing they need. When we break it down, those are the three things plants need. Other than space, uh, they need light, they need water, and they need nutrition. And of course, we can use spaces all over the place, in the soil, in containers, in pots, in buckets. Uh, but these other things that we usually have to supply the plant that we're buying in, how can we cut that bill and become more self-sufficient? When we get back, gardening self-sufficiently. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at newsoutherngarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So, gang, welcome to 2022. I mean, gas prices are higher than they've ever been. Supply on many of our daily essentials are out. I mean, coming from the plant nursery, uh, plant uh, green industry, if you will, horticulture, there's a lot of plants that have been out of stock for a couple of years. Of course, it takes time for us to grow these kinds of crops. Things like crepe myrtles have been limited. I mean, for goodness sakes, it's one of the classic plants of the South, and we can't even find them because people are buying them so quickly. Uh, The demand is so much higher than the supply, and that's happening across the board. What is going to happen when prices reach beyond the roof? They're already pushing the roof, you know. But when they reach beyond the roof, push beyond the roof, and you've got to cut a check for all these products you buy in the garden and the landscape, you're going to start scaling back probably. And I wanted today to give you some ways, some steps to being more self-sufficient in your garden. Things you can start doing now, things that we really could have been doing all along, even when prices were better. (laughs) But uh, these simple steps are things you can really save. We're going to talk about saving a lot of things. We're going to talk about trying to increase um, nutrition in our soil maybe more naturally than just applying fertilizers. Of course, applying fertilizers are a quick, easy solution. But what happens when we can't afford those fertilizers? What happens when it's just too heavy of a burden to bear? I mean, you know, trying to grow your own tomatoes becomes so pricey that you might as well just buy them in the store, even though you know they're not going to taste the same. That's for sure. (laughs) But these seven steps we're going to talk about today, I hope I can get to them all. I guess I better uh, zoom it up a little faster here. Uh, But they're going to help you be more self-sufficient in your garden practices. So let's start off with number one. The very first thing I think of when we want to be more self-sufficient Uh, in the garden is to save our seeds. We need to be saving our seeds. And I'll tell you why. I mean, it is very exhilarating. It's a wonderful thing in the late winter, early spring, when those catalogs start rolling into the mailbox, those seed catalogs. Because anytime you buy some seeds from a company, they've got your number and they're going to send you a catalog to sell you more. But what about paying for them every year? What about if we need to start cutting budget, a uh, household budget? Uh, why would we continue to buy seeds when we can start saving seeds from our own plants? Now, of course, I'm not telling you anything new, but maybe just reminding you of an old-fashioned way of generating more seeds for really a little cheaper cost. Now, it may take some more work on your behalf. The saving seed, saving seed process uh, can be extensive for some types of plants, but really for most garden plants, it's very simple. So saving our seeds for the next season is important. At the end of the season or near the end of the season, uh, when you've uh, been eating all your gorgeous tomatoes, you may save a few of the best, save a few of the best tasting, scoop out that inner pulp and save the seeds. Now, with tomatoes, for instance, because that's still America's number one vegetable, (laughs) number one grown vegetable is the tomato, what you can do is put it in a mason jar, put the pulp and all, the seeds, the pulp from the inside, that gooey, mushy stuff, put all of that in a mason jar, 
uh, mix some regular tap water in there, shake it up some, and let it sit there for a few days. Now, that's going to start stimulating this process of fermentation. Uh, it's not really fermentation like somebody would make wine, <laughs> but it's fermentation to allow that gooey, slimy stuff to break down, and then you can more simply strain out the gunk from the seed. So if you pour that through a strainer after the it's sort of bubbling a bit and it looks like some things are growing in there, uh, you can pour that down the sink or pour it back into the garden soil and you can easily collect those seeds. Now with any of the seeds, whether you're going to collect beans, of course beans are real easy, you just let the pods, uh, pick some ripe pods, let them dry out and you can scoop out the seeds. Once all of your seeds are dry, that's you want them not you don't want to bake them, obviously. We don't want to cook these seeds, but we do want them to air dry for maybe 24 hours. And then, of course, you can put them in brown paper bags, some kind of paper bag. Don't put them in plastic bags because plastic bags will retain moisture. Okay, you may notice when you buy seeds, usually, unless it's a certain kind of seed, they are packaged in paper bags or paper packets. So you can do the same. You can reuse the packets you bought the seed from, or you can put them in little brown paper bags. And there are those cute little tiny brown paper sacks and also paper envelopes like coin envelopes that work very well for small seeds. Then you can actually keep them in the refrigerator, okay? You can store your seed in the refrigerator because we don't want them to they either need to be at room temperature or lower. We don't want to keep them outside or maybe even in a garage where moisture may be high, temperatures fluctuate from summer to cool seasons, and in the refrigerator it's more consistent and bringing down, bringing down that atmospheric temperature around the seed will help to keep your seed more viable. So the refrigerator is an ideal place for them as long as your refrigerator doesn't have too much moisture. What we find is that when we are trying to save seeds, if we lower the moisture or humidity and lower the air temperature, the seed lasts much longer. Now that doesn't mean that you have to freeze them, okay? I know that some folks have frozen their seeds, kept them in the freezer, uh, and in many cases, those seeds are viable. But there are some varieties and types of plants that you're growing that you maybe don't necessarily need to freeze. So, of course, we're talking sort of about, of, of about the vegetable garden, but this also works for seed pods from annuals. You know, every year you may go buy annual plants and little trays and pots, and here I am, the guy who sells, it to, uh, sells these products to feed his children, but I'm telling you to save your seed. Petunias can save their seed well. Now, some of these new varieties, remember, some of these new varieties of vegetables and or annual flowers, they may not produce much seed because they've been hybridized so much they just physically can't. So find the varieties that can. Some of the older fashion types definitely, definitely produce seeds. I mean, this is how our great-grandparents would have made their flower gardens, by saving seeds, not just buying them in. So we can do the same. Now, the next thing, of course, with talking about seeds is not just saving your seeds, but maybe breeding your own seed. You know, it's a great thing to go buy new seeds, the newest, latest tomato that's drought resistant, that has super good flavor, all these things. But you can breed your own seed. Now, you may need to uh, look that process up a bit. Maybe go to um, uh, the internet. There is a great book online you can purchase on Amazon about breeding seeds. But uh, breeding plants, if you've got a really productive tomato that tastes good, but it needs a lot of water, you may cross it with a tomato that doesn't have the best fruits, 
are the best tomatoes, uh, but cross it with a, a plant that is very drought resistant. Like if there's a, a tomato plant in your garden that you don't ever have to water, and it seems to be more drought resistant than the rest, start breeding that with the really tasty ones, and you can have some seed, potentially new plants. Save the seed from those tomatoes that you crossed, and potentially you can have new plants that are both very delicious, juicy, and don't need as much water. Breeding your own plants for your local environment is a really good thing. Now, the next step is to save your plastic. We're going to save our seeds, but we're also going to save all of our plastics, okay? And last week, I sort of mentioned this. Um, we were talking about, or actually three weeks ago, I think, two or three weeks ago, but we were talking about saving those yogurt containers or cottage cheese containers or sour cream containers, uh, cutting the sides into strips to make plant tags to ride on, and that still applies here, but saving our plastic pots to start plants in. You don't have to have those fancy standardized nursery pots that we use in the nursery. That, that's sort of been standardized to uh, uh, help people expect the same kind of product. But if you're growing your own plants from seeds, there's no reason to buy those expensive trays that you see at the box stores uh, or even those jiffy pots, you know, those jiffy pots that break down. I mean, heck, those are only good for one season anyways. But in your landscape, in your own garden, you can save these plastic containers. Uh, you can puncture holes in the bottom of them for good drainage, and you can get growing, and you can grow your own seed in essentially trash, right? You can grow your own seed in what was essentially trash, something that was going to be thrown out, put in the garbage, put in the recycle bin. I have always said that in gardening and in the horticulture industry, in the nursery industry, the most important thing we can do about recycling plastic is to reuse, reuse, reuse it until we can't use it any longer. And then once it's just torn to pieces because we can't put a plant in it, then we send it to the recycle bin. We've used it and used it over and over and we've saved. We've saved our plastic, saved our money, uh, and also created some beautiful plants. When we get back, more steps to being more self-sufficient in your landscape. Stories untold come to life. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. All right, gang, it is time for us to start saving, saving, saving. Today on New Southern Garden, we're talking about being more self-sufficient in your landscape. Now, these these principles or these steps that I'm giving you today, they apply to, you know, the shrub border, the perennial garden, definitely the vegetable garden, the flower, the annual beds, whatever you're growing, you can use these steps to be more self-sufficient. Because my justification for bringing this topic to you today is looking at the world around us. It's sort of starting to feel like a zombie apocalypse, you know, <laughs> except without the zombies. There's gas prices that are being very concerning, especially when I put the most amount of money into my tank this week. 
than I ever have since I've had this truck, or any truck actually. And so we need to be thinking about how can we make our landscapes more self-sufficient. Think of all the things we add in. We buy in plants, we buy in fertilizer, we buy in mulch, we buy in all of these things that then become this cycle of spending money. Now, of course, you know that I operate Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. And I help feed my children by selling people plants and fertilizers and all of these things. But at some point, it is a good idea to consider how can we cut some cost. And so I do want to uh, give you some more ideas. We've already talked about saving our seeds. Seeds are, you know, a small expense. But think about 10 years ago, the price of a pack of seeds was much smaller too. And now, even though we might have been able to buy, you know, four for a dollar, we may have to be buying two for a dollar now. And that's a double in price. Of course, some of the more specialized seeds, they can reach five, six, seven dollars a packet for some of these new varieties. And I'm not saying don't buy new seeds, but it's a good idea to save your own seeds at the end of the season, particularly from those plants that perform very well. And we did talk about breeding our own plants a little bit. You know, instead of buying new hybrids, well, maybe hybridize your own. Maybe breed your own. You can do these things. We may have to learn just a little bit more on how to, uh, but you can. You can cross a plant that does really well in your climate, in your area, in your backyard. Cross it with something different, and then you may have a new plant uh, that's even better than both of those. Then, of course, we talked about saving our plastics, saving our plastics. The nursery industry uses a lot of plastic. We put it on greenhouse uh, greenhouses. We cover greenhouses with it. We also use the containers uh, for plants. They're made out of plastic. And so you can use and save any containers you have. Just reuse them, reuse them until they break or fall apart, and then go recycle those plastics. But also those plastic containers in your refrigerator. The sour cream, the cottage cheese, the yogurt, those containers make wonderful starter plant pots. So you just need to make sure they have some well-drained drainage holes in them. We want to make sure they're well-drained, but you can reuse those until they fall apart and then put them in the recycling bin. Now, something else we need to think about saving, step three here for garden self-sufficiency, is to save your leaves and twigs. Save your leaves and twigs. First of all... Um, Leaves usually become a nuisance, you know, late in the season, or rather fall, late in fall, when all of the leaves, the oak trees, the maples, whatever, have fallen and all those leaves are on the ground. A lot of folks just blow them out of the beds and pile them up, put them into bags and throw them on the curb for the trash man to pick up. But let me tell you, folks, if we're going to save our leaves, what we're actually doing is saving nutrition. We're saving food for our beloved plants. You see, those leaves may have about 33% of the nitrogen needs that your plants require. So that means you can at least cut your fertilizer bill down by about 33%. That's a substantial decrease in expenditures, is it not? So you can take these leaves, and actually, I'll tell you what I do. I don't blow the leaves. We have a lot of trees on our property, okay? And what I do is I don't blow the leaves out of the bed I blow the leaves into the beds because those leaves serve as two purposes. First of all, they're going to break down and release nutrients. Well, really, it's three purposes. Second, they're going to be used as a mulch. 
As they're piled up around the base of plants, keeping the ground warm, making sure moisture stays in the soil, making sure they suppress weeds. Then the third thing is as they, um, as they break down, they also build the soil. They really, leaf manure is a wonderful thing. Leaf, well, sometimes we call it leaf litter, leaf manure, uh, but as it breaks down, we can call it leaf compost, whatever. Those leaves break down, release carbon, and turn your soil that nice brown black that we love. It will turn a, a red clay soil that we are blessed with here in the South. Um, it will definitely turn that into a darker, better growing medium, okay? So leaves play all kinds of, of benefits. Now, I say also to save your twigs. So save your leaves and save your twigs. The twigs come into play because, you know, if they're real thin and small, they can be composted and they can help make a good compost media, whether you want to use the compost to start seeds with, uh, whether you want to use the compost to fluff up and uh, add a great tilth to your garden soil, whatever, those leaves and twigs will also break down into a wonderful compost. It just takes them a little longer than the leaf material. But you can also save your twigs and, you know, if you're trimming or limbing up leaves, uh, save long straight twigs as supports. Save long, straight twigs as supports for tomato plants, for cucumber plants, for building some kind of trellising system. You don't have to go out and buy bamboo canes. Let me tell you, folks, there's really no reason why uh, we need to be buying bamboo if you have enough trees that you can get long, straight twigs from. It may look a little funny. Of course, bamboo is very uniform and very straight. Being in the grass family, it's just a cane. Uh, but you can also use oak limbs. You can use maple limbs. Uh, you can use any kind of tree limbs to support your plants with. Now, the last bit about saving your leaves is particularly saving the leaves and the stems from legume plants. Okay, so this is very important and very critical if we want to become self-sufficient in our garden practices. First of all, legume plants are the bean plants, beans or peas. So green beans, pole beans, bush beans, um, crowder peas that we usually plant here in the south, the summer pe uh, southern peas, if you will, and also English peas, if you do any of those. There are plenty of other plants in the legume family. And if you're already growing them in your vegetable garden, don't ever pull those plants out of your gardening system. You can pull them out of the soil, but be sure to compost them or chop them up and just let them lay on the soil. Because slowly, those plants will release nitrogen that was not ever in the soil. Legumes are these strange group of plants, uh, the beans and the peas, that pull nitrogen out of the air. They fix it uh, through, the, through a strange process using uh, the help of bacterias. And down in their roots, they have these little nodules. They pull the nitrogen out of the air, and they fix this nitrogen in those nodules with the help of bacteria, like I said. And when those plants die they release nitrogen back into the soil that was never there. The nitrogen used to be in the atmosphere. It got pulled into the body of the plant, of these legume plants, and now it is 
going to be in the soil as long as you leave those stems and roots and leaves in your compost pile or on top of your vegetable garden. At the end of the season, just let those bean plants lay on the soil and then turn them over. Bean plants are very beneficial to helping your garden become more sufficient, self-sufficient, particularly because of that nitrogen fixation. They do add carbon to the soil, which helps build the soil, but it's really the fact that they can provide nitrogen and you don't have to give so much nitrogen fertilizer when you're using legumes. We'll talk more about that a little later. So save your leaves and twigs. Now the next step that I would take is to save your kitchen scraps. Save your kitchen scraps. Obviously this is uh, helpful when we're composting. If we eat a banana There's no reason to throw the peel in the trash can. We can put it in a bucket and take it to the compost pile. As a matter of fact, if you want to be more uh, proactive on saving kitchen scraps that are going to the compost pile, maybe find a container or a bucket with a lid. This is very important, especially in my household, because my wife will not let me just pile up uh, rotting chicken, not chicken, rotting kitchen scraps in a bucket without a lid, okay? She doesn't want the flies, and that can happen. So be sure you have something with a lid. I've actually seen these beautiful containers that were porcelain, and it said compost on the front with a cool little lid, very chic, very fashionable. It doesn't take something fancy, but something with a lid is very important uh, to do that. So obviously, kitchen scraps are very beneficial for the compost pile to increase our nutrients uh, in the garden that way. But have you thought about saving your kitchen scraps to propagate new plants, to make new plants? You very well can. Think about the green onion, okay? If you use green onions and you chop all of the leaves, all of the greens, but you leave that base basal part where it's white and of course the roots are, If you leave just a little bit of that, you can plant those little greens, those little stubs, if you will, with a root system back into the garden, and you can regrow more green onions. That's just one way. You can sort of do the same thing with celery. If you're chopping up the celery and you're using the the stems and the leaves at the top, but you leave the basal part where there is what we call the basal root plate. And that's usually just where the plant has been severed from the root system. Well, that little group of cells, that little disc underneath the celery can generate more roots. And you can do this easily even in your kitchen. All you got to do is save that basal part of the plant, put it in a dish of water and leave it in a sunny window. Maybe the kitchen window's fine, the, the window near the sink, and let that plant start regrowing. You'll start to see new roots forming and you'll start to see new shoots forming. And of course, you can plant that out in the garden. So that's a quick way to generate more plants, but it's also a cheaper way because you don't have to buy the seed or buy the plants. All you have to do is save these interesting parts of the plant, these basal parts of the plant. Uh, It doesn't work with everything we use in the kitchen. Obviously, a tomato is a fruit. We have to use the seeds to make more plants. We can't really stick the stem in a glass of water, but we can definitely uh, save most of our kitchen scraps to make more plants. Green onions, sometimes the uh, the cabbages and the, um, well, not really broccoli. Broccoli's probably cut a little too high on the plant, but cabbages are cut down low, kind of like the celeries are. You can save some of those things to make more plants. It's a wonderful way uh, to become more self-sufficient. Now, other than saving kitchen scraps for nutrition or to make more plants, there is another thing we can save. And you may or may not have one of these 
these particular creatures. But uh, saving manures from animals is a good idea. You may have a cat or a dog, and we would never really recommend to save the manure from the cat or the dog uh, for disease control purposes. Uh, But we would definitely uh, encourage, uh, you know, it's based on their diet. They eat a lot of meats and things and uh, the way those animals are. But things like chickens and rabbits and goats to get a little larger. Rabbits and chickens are pretty small animals, but of course goats are a little smaller, but not as big as cows. If you have cows, if you have horses, if you have large animals, definitely their manure needs to be saved. Uh, If you have small animals like chickens and whatnot, they also are a great source of producing the nutrient cycle, keeping the nutrient cycle going. Because of course, these animals you can feed. Rabbits, you can feed things from your garden. They'll process it. Uh, Chickens love to eat weeds, and they love to eat weed seed. So they're uh, friendly weeders, but they're also eaters of nutrition. And then when they produce their manure, that can be composted, become well-rotted, and can be reused in the garden to encourage uh, uh, nutrient development and making sure that your plants are well fed and happy when we get back folks we got to take a break but we are going to talk about more self-sufficient things you can do uh, in the landscape hey gang it's nathan thanks so much for listening to the new southern garden podcast of course i love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well but sometimes you need more than just information you need plants so i'd love for you to join me at lanier nursery and gardens in flowery branch georgia where you can find me throughout the week but you can find more than just me of course (laughs) at lanier nursery and gardens you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees glorious shrubs and colorful perennials and annuals and i want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to lanier nursery it's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories we've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, let's get growing together. Well, gang, welcome back for the uh, final segment of today's show here on the New Southern Garden. We've been talking about being more self-sufficient in the landscape, in the garden, whether it's vegetables, perennials, tree shrubs, all of these principles apply. And I left you at the last break with a thought that maybe you've not entertained too much and maybe you won't entertain too much, but that is saving animal manures. If you've got chickens, if you've got rabbits, small animals, maybe even goats or something, okay, you, you've already learned how important they are in recycling nutrients, okay? Because the way that um, the, the things that the animal consumes can be processed and decomposed while it's in the gut of the animal. And of course, when the manure comes out, it can be applied into composting it can be applied directly into the garden to compost uh, at a slower rate but that cycle of nutrition as a matter of fact there was a very old horticulturalist from the late 1800s early 1900s called liberty hyde bailey what a great name liberty hyde bailey and he pretty much said that uh, the good farm okay he's talking about farming but the good farm has both animal and plant material because they help 
cycle nutrition back and forth, back and forth. So maybe you already have a small flock of birds or chickens. Maybe you can't have animals because you're in a neighborhood and there's restrictions. Or maybe you're downtown in a city. I really hope that the cities would open up a bit for small flocks of birds and also small animals because if we're trying to grow good gardens and be self-sufficient, animals can help us do that. So when we talk about saving animal manures, we don't mean cat and dog, our pets. We mean these more farm animals, right? Barn animals, if you will. (laughs) Those kind of animals eat grasses and grains. They'll eat your weeds. They will eat your weed seeds. The chickens love to eat seeds, and they will clean out an area in no time. They'll scratch it and till it for you, uh, but they'll also eat those weeds. So those are the kind of animals we're talking about when we say save our animal manures. But if you have animals and you save their manures, you don't have to buy as much fertilizer, maybe if any at all. Now, you may have to buy feed for the animals, but you could also grow it yourself if you want a nice closed system that requires little input from the fertilizer or farming industries, you know? So let's move on to our uh, sixth tip today or our sixth step to be more self-sufficient in our garden, and that is to grow cover crops. Grow cover crops. This is something that you definitely can do uh, in many areas of your landscape. Number one, the vegetable garden is a wonderful place to grow cover crops. So I need to tell you what a cover crop really is. A cover crop is something that we grow that covers the soil that we don't harvest from. We just usually let those plants die in the off season or till them under to enrich the soil, okay? So these kinds of plants are usually in two main groups, either some kind of grass or some kind of legume. And I promised you we'd come back to the legumes. Because over winter, if you're not growing much in your vegetable garden, for instance, you could grow winter peas uh, that would fill up the space. They would help suppress weeds, uh, winter beans of some kind. They can grow, like I said, they're suppressing weeds, but they're also taking nitrogen out of the air over winter, locking it up into their body, if you will, the plant itself. And then when those plants die off right before you're planting your vegetable garden in spring, They're tilled under, they're turned over, they're enriching the soil, and they're increasing. They're increasing the nutrient bank, if you will, that your garden will have to tap into. Now, grasses can also be planted in any off-season that you're not growing. There are some summer grasses, but there are definitely winter grasses like annual ryegrass. Annual ryegrass is a great grass to grow over winter. You can sow it in your beds. Uh, You can sow it in your beds maybe starting in October, November, okay, when it's cooling down but still warm enough uh, but not brutally hot. And those little grasses will grow all winter long. They'll look beautiful. They'll be green. And then, of course, when it starts to warm up in spring, they don't like it hot, so they die back. And all of that... uh, all of that leaf growth that they've put out, all of the leaf growth, it, growth is then tilled into the soil or composted, however you want to treat it. It can just lay on top of the soil and you plant directly into that in the spring. It's a great, that's why they call them a cover crop because they're literally covering our soil when we're not using it for other things and they are benefiting the soil. They are enriching the soil with either carbon or nitrogen to make our soils darker, more brown and black, if you will, and then, of course, to increase the nu- the nutrients in the soil. It's a wonderful thing. So growing cover crops can help you become more self-sufficient. Now, let's talk about another vital need that plants have, and that's water. 
So our last step today for becoming self-sufficient in the garden is to capture water, save water, all right? There's several ways we can do that. Of course, we don't have to justify the fact that plants need water. We know they do. But obviously, rainwater from gutters is the first place we need to go to capture water. Now, you can have cisterns underground that capture it, and you can pump that out of the earth to water your plants with. Uh, rather pump that out of the cistern, which is underground, but you can also have above ground rain barrels. Now, unfortunately, they're never really that gorgeous, okay? They're never really that pretty. So they may have to be in an inconspicuous area, but you could say 50 gallons. There are tubs that could be 250 gallons. Uh, You can save copious amounts of water every time it rains and then use it when it doesn't rain. All right. So obviously, rainwater is a great way to uh, water your plants, and capturing that's important. Now, here's an area you may not be capturing water from, and that is condensation from your air conditioning unit. The unit outside produces water, and we usually just let it drain out of a pipe and drip into the lawn. But you can capture that into one of these barrels or some kind of container. Now, it's not as much water, maybe, as a heavy rain. But if we use our air units over winter, uh, sorry, over summer pretty frequently, then we're capturing more and more of this precious water. And the last thing, the last thing that I would mention is we could also capture gray water. Okay, let me say that anything that has human waste in it is called black water. So anything in the toilet, anything from the toilet needs to go uh, into the septic tank. But anything from, say, a laundry sink or maybe even a kitchen sink that's mostly hand washing, dishwashing, soaps, you know, there's nothing really nasty in there like the toilet would have but uh, anything I hate to be so graphic but regardless sink water is essentially gray water and so anything that has mild detergents or dishwashing that's not a problem for plants and you can capture those uh, those sources of water from bathroom sinks to kitchen sinks to laundry sinks Uh, capture that instead of just putting it in the septic system and you can actually reuse that to water plants with. So you may want that water to sit out uh, in the sunlight for 24 hours or so, but regardless, capturing water that is gray water from the sink, not the toilet, that is important. So again, today we've talked about seven different steps to garden self-sufficiency. In today's world where prices are high, gasoline prices are astronomical, it's costing us more to live, we don't need to be spending so much in the garden. We need it to be a place where we don't feel burdened by it. We want it to be a place uh, that makes us happy and, of course, makes us healthy by providing us with delicious uh, fruits and vegetables for our stomachs, but also provides us wonderful flowers to nourish our souls. So save your seeds, save your plastics, save your leaves and twigs, save your kitchen scraps, animal manures, use cover crops, and capture your water. So for New Southern Garden... And WRWH, this is Nathan Wilson hoping that you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week, folks. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. 